Welcome to the official podcast of the Love Times 2 Project. Change the culture and the politics will follow. Here is your host, Mike Victor. Well, hello and welcome to the Love Times 2 Podcast. My name is Jordan Wooten and I will be filling in as host today. I serve on the board of the Love Times 2 Project and I'm pleased to introduce our guest, Dr. Katie Fruget. Katie is the director of the Center for Cultural Engagement and the director of the Christian Life Commission, both of which are ministries of the Baptist General Convention of Texas, and all of which uh, is a bit of a mouthful. (laughs) But uh, Dr. Fruget, she's an important voice on an important topic, and and I'm excited to have this conversation. I think it'll be a great conversation. So with that, Katie, thank you so much for, uh, for setting aside some time to talk, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jordan. I really appreciate it. I'm honored to be here today. Well, if you don't mind, can you kick us off by just giving a brief introduction, uh, background, family, whatever you want to share there, and then uh, tell us how did you come to be a follower of Jesus, and then what led you to pursue your current vocation? Yeah, I mean, how much time do you have? But, uh, no, really, um, I am happily married. This will be my 15th wedding anniversary this summer to my college sweetheart, uh, Lafayette. Uh, it's a good Cajun name, but uh, believe it or not, we met in Tennessee. And so I'm from Texas. He's from Kentucky. We ended up meeting in Tennessee. And uh, we just knew from the very beginning that the Lord was calling us to build and join a life together. And so we got married right out of college and went to seminary together. We really weren't sure what life was going to look like, but we knew that we wanted to do it together. And uh, since then, we've had three beautiful little daughters. We've got a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 2-year-old. And they've been a real critical part of my story and my own ministry and development as the Lord has just shaped and called me into this particular vocation. And so I've been working with the Baptist General Convention of Texas. It's two 2019, primarily with the Christian Life Commission, but as you've already talked about, also now with the Center for Cultural Engagement. Um, And really, like my roots are in Texas Baptist life. I was blessed to be raised in a Christian family. My uh, grandfather was a professor at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary for 30 years. Uh, Just a wonderful heritage that I'm proud and thankful for and just honored that the Lord would call me and allow me to continue serving in His kingdom as that is part of my legacy and roots. And as David says in the Psalms, my heritage is a beautiful thing to me. That's great. So we alluded a couple of times to to your role. You were, you were recently named uh, to the post that we've mentioned, Director of Center, Director of the Center for Cultural Engagement, Director of the Christian Life Commission. Can you give listeners just a broad overview of the work that you and your team are doing there? And then more specifically, kind of honing in on, on how we'll spend our time. What, what are some of your team's main points of emphasis on the issue of life and abortion? Absolutely. So the Center for Cultural Engagement is kind of the bigger hat, and that is really our efforts are to be uh, people who are engaging in culture at various entry points, because as believers, we can't transform. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, but we all are called to be salt and light and to engage in all these different areas. And so at the cultural engagement level, we try to be um, bridge builders and speaking truth to all sorts of different issues. And that's really where the Christian Life Commission comes in. We want to be that um, open voice sharing with the, in the public sphere, uh, just the truth of scripture and also speaking truth to power, speaking about systemic issues, systemic um, evils, and just really wanted to be God's representative in the public square to be a positive voice to share words of affirmation of hope that the Holy Spirit has led us to be a voice and part of. And so within the realm of abortion, we want to be a voice of life. We want to be a positive word to women who are struggling and having questions about that, but also just stand for the truth that God has called us to protect the vulnerable, that uh, we are proud to do that and want to do that and holistically and lovingly as a way as we can. 
and, and on that topic, I, I uh, had the had the opportunity recently to listen to a conversation you had with one of your colleagues. Um, it, it's entitled "The Hope to Choose Life When the Choice Isn't Easy," and, and that conversation can be found on the BGCT website. And in that that conversation, you discussed the importance of the Imago Dei in reference mm-hmm. to the issue of life, so the, the, the doctrine of the image of God. Yeah. Um, so first. Can, can you can you define what we mean when we refer to to the Imago Dei? What is that? Um, and then, as Christians, you know how sh- how should the reality that that all people are made in God's image inform our, our anthropology, so our understanding of human life, and then our efforts to preserve human life? Absolutely. Well, you've asked the million dollar question in some ways, and that's actually what my dissertation was on in seminary, is trying to understand what it means to be made in the image of God. Uh, As believers, everyone agrees, it's clear as day that uh, Genesis, uh, God has made man in his image. And that is... um, easily something that even for 2000 years of Christian theology, we can all agree on where we get a little murky is coming in on the next step. What does that mean? And what does it mean to be made in the image of God? And different people are going to have different perspectives on that. But at the end of the day, there is a Christian consensus that to be made in the image of God really has three major implications. The first major implication means that all human beings are born as sealed with a, a dignity that is beyond uh any kind of measure that we would kind of put on people, whether it be a gender or ethnicity, race, culture, anything like that, all people are beautifully equally made in his image. And there's a seal of dignity to that, that we honor, we respect, and we all come to the table with a rep- uh, recognition of that starting point of the, the just the beautiful dignity as image bearers that we all equally possess. Um, and then second to that also means as image bearers that we have a, uh, necessity that we're bringing to the table, that God has created each of us with purpose, with intention, and that there is something that every single created being has that is uh, not only something of dignity, but something of value and worth that we are all working and collaborating together on. And that requires my respect, that requires my attention as I'm working and, and dealing with someone, even if I don't agree with them, I want to honor and be respectful of that human dignity and that necessity that the Lord has placed them in my lives for a reason and uh, wanting to navigate that in a way that honors the Lord as we are His image bearers. And then finally, it also means that we share a common dignity, that the Lord has come to redeem humanity, that He has created us to be in relationship with Him. And as Christians, our destiny is to be in relationship with the Lord. And ultimately, at that culmination of uh, one day when we're all in heaven together, that is what we were created to be and to do one day. And so we kind of share that common goal as we're working towards that. And when we're talking about the issue of abortion, it's completely intertwined because every single human being from conception onward, we believe has that seal of dignity, that seal of necessity, and that seal of dignity of destiny that we believe that they have a purpose, a function, and something that we're all working towards. So we want to honor, respect, and celebrate that as holistically as we can. That's great. Um, so, so one of, one of the unique things that um, that popped up in that discussion that I, I alluded to earlier is that you all delved into reality. It, it seems to me that, that you know that we don't often talk about. It doesn't get a lot of airtime in, in the conversation surrounding life, and that's maintaining our pro life convictions even when choosing life for a child isn't isn't easy necessarily. Mm-hmm. And, and raising children is never easy, but but there's right. circumstances that um, that kind of warrant that that qualifier. So can can you talk about that for a moment on you know on the issue of abortion and life, um, for lack of a better word, how comprehensive should our pro life convictions be and, and why? 
Well, I'll tell you this. I don't think we can be too comprehensive here. I think that this is something that especially as we're looking towards a hopeful future where perhaps uh, abortion is illegal in some states in the United States, uh, we want to be as holistic and comprehensive as possible because once that baby is born, there's going to be so many needs depending on the circumstances uh, that they're coming into. And we want to have wraparound care from A to Z in that situation. It's going to require us to think in new and creative ways, recognizing that there, especially for young women um, who are facing genuinely difficult and challenging situations, listening with a uh, compassionate ear, hearing what their struggles are, and uh, understanding that there is a reason why abortion seems to be the preferred opinion and option for so many people. And if we're talking about having a holistic, comprehensive pro-life approach, we want to not just make abortion illegal. We want to make abortion the less desired alternative, recognizing that there is a better and more, there is a abundant life to be had. And we can't have abundant life when we have systemic problems and failures. And so when we're talking about issues that go beyond just the issue of abortion, there are so many different ways to be pro-life that don't just end at the birth moment. Mm, yeah. In, in the U.S., uh, it's it's estimated, I, I read recently, that somewhere between 67 and 88 percent of babies in the womb who are diagnosed with Down syndrome are, are aborted, which is just a staggering statistic. Mm. Um you know, the fact is, it's um, in, in some corners, it's becoming easier, uh, more lawful for parents to abort preborn children who have, uh, quote, physical or mental abnormality as to be seriously handicapped, which is language pulled from the UK's Abortion Act. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, that's that's broad language, uh, but it's language that does allow for, you know, abortions in the case of Down syndrome, for instance, and other so-called disabilities. Um, and, and, and of course, you know, this sort of thinking has, has crept its way into the states as well with the state of New York, for example, um, adopting similar language in some of their, their legislation. So all that yeah. to say, the, the, you know, the question is this, why should Christians or, or anyone for that matter, but, but Christians in particular reject this, this sort of thinking? We, we absolutely have to reject it. First and foremost, because disability should never, ever be a death sentence. And especially as believers, we live in the hope of the resurrection and recognizing that uh, disabled life is not the end of life. And there is something incredibly, to use a a popular term, ableistic, (laughs) about saying just because someone is going to be born disabled that their life is less worthy or less important. Um, There will absolutely be challenges, uh, as many who may be familiar with my story know, two of my children have special needs. I have one child with... uh, moderate to severe physical disabilities, and then another child with moderate to severe mental and physical disabilities. Um, But both of them are still completely capable of having an abundant, full life. Both of them still have so much to bring to the table to contribute to the kingdom of God. They have things that they are bringing that we would not have in any other way. And so as believers, we need to be the voice that is standing saying, all life is beautiful. All life is of value. All life has something to bring to the table that we want, that we desire, and we respect and honor. And uh, I really see our role as believers to be leading the charge in this, to say that we are not a people of death. We are a people of life. And as much as people don't like to have uh, what sometimes has been referred to as like death reminders, you know, these disabilities that remind us that sometimes things go wrong, we celebrate individuals who are who are born and have different abilities and disabilities and recognize the value and the place that they have, just like the man in John 9, when Jesus says he was born, that his glory would be displayed through him, uh, recognizing and celebrating that in every individual. 
And, and as you mentioned, it's, it's not, uh, this conversation is not just theoretical for you, right? It's a reality that you, uh, have personally faced, your family's personally faced. Um, yeah. can, if you will, can you, can you tell us a bit about your experience? Absolutely. So my firstborn was really one of the most uh, eye-opening experiences as far as going from the theoretical to the practical in my own life, where my husband and I, after being married a few years and found ourselves pregnant, found uh, just really blindsided when we were in the quiet ultrasound room and they just suddenly just broke the silence and said, Katie, something's wrong with your baby. And within just a few moments, we felt our world crashing around us as we learned that our just precious, precious daughter uh, had survived something they weren't sure of at the time. They were calling, using words like catastrophic. They weren't sure if she was going to be viable. They weren't sure about my own outcome and the medical complications that could come from a delivery like that. And Within about a 45-minute span, we went from having a completely normal, you know, pregnancy that everything seemed to be going well to having a doctor sit there and say things like, you know, we need to consider that there's two patients here and we need to make sure that we're taking care of Katie in this moment, uh, making sure that you can have kids in the future or making sure that she's going to be okay. And it became abundantly clear pretty quickly that just based off of what they were seeing, it was the opinion of some of the medical professionals that maybe it would just be better to go ahead and hit a reset button at this point and just figure out what happened and then go forward and try to prevent that in future pregnancies. And in that moment, I was so thankful that the Lord had already worked in my life and my own convictions to where I was ready and able to be able to look the doctors in that moment and say, no, we're going we're gonna to save my daughter and trust the Lord to be the giver and taker of life. It was not easy. It was a hard, long pregnancy, spent um, several months on bed rest and had to face a very uncertain delivery where they told me, if, if you start to hemorrhage, we won't be able to stop this. And you, you know, that's your own risk and you're going into that. But in one of the most gloriously anticlimactic moments, um, I we were born in this you know, literally they call it, uh, you know, medical theater. We were literally born felt like in a theater. So I had a whole entourage of doctors. She had a whole entourage of doctors. And within 10 minutes of her being born, uh, she was missing her left arm, her right leg, a uh, lot of issues that she was going to have to have surgeries on in the future, but she was healthy and she was absolutely perfect, absolutely beautiful. And the room was completely empty and it was just the three of us. And so that was really a transformative moment in my life where I realized, you know, there's going to be difficulties, but doctors do not have a magic eight ball they cannot always predict they can give us their best input i'm thankful for them but at the end of the day the lord is faithful to be trusted with his word and his promises and uh, we we allowed him to prove himself in that moment and that uh, he showed up in just beautiful ways that's allowed us to be able to be a voice for others now to celebrate uh women when they have difficult decisions and stand alongside them well that's a good good lead into our um to our next question you know I think what what's most often talked about in in you know the, the discussion that you and I are having are are typically the challenges of parenting children with special needs, um, mm-hmm. and and certainly those are real. Um, but you alluded to this um, just a minute ago, and in the, the the conversation that I've I've referenced several times now, you talk about the joys uh, of parenting yes. children with, with unique and special needs, and and we don't hear that enough. So can you tell us about that? What what are some of the joys of being a parent to children with special needs? I would talk about this all day. 
this is one of the things that was the biggest blessing to me after our middle daughter was born. We found out after her birth that she had been born with several medical complications, completely unrelated to her older sister. But my middle daughter had been born with uh, severe mental disabilities. And I was in a place of deep, deep depression. I was really struggling and really grasping to wonder if I was ever even going to feel joy again. And in that moment, in my darkness, a fellow mother reached out to me who had a child very similar to my own and said, you don't know me, but I've heard your story and I have a similar one. And I just wanted you to know that it's going to be hard, but you have great, great joy ahead. And even that promise was enough to really pull me out of a pretty dark depression to cling to hope in life. And what I've realized since that experience is a couple of things. First of all, Joy and sorrow are not mutually exclusive concepts, and it is okay to have difficult days. It is okay for there to be darkness, but that doesn't exclude the presence of incredible joy in a person's life, that there is space that God has created us so beautifully in a complex way that we are able to feel joy and sorrow all at the same time. And the second thing I've learned is through the difficulties of raising children with these physical and mental disabilities, is the the dark caves that we go into sometimes the the depths of sorrow that we are experiencing are very real they're very difficult but what I did not anticipate happening is it almost felt like as it was caving space in my heart going down into the depths of sorrow the opposite was also occurring that these beautiful beautiful uh, just high peaks were also being created within my heart to be able to experience joy like I've never felt so for one of my examples is you think that every baby's first step is beautiful I, I no one you know that's always a great thing but there is really no way to compare uh, my daughter's first steps after multiple surgeries and tears and feeling like she couldn't do it to watch my daughter take her first step in her prosthetic leg. There was not a dry eye in the room. <laughs> Everybody was clapping. We were cheering. I mean, it was like she had just, you know, won the Olympics, finished a marathon, all of the above, watching a three-year-old fight and fight, going through so many surgeries and everything to watch her finally victoriously take those steps and then just look at me and say, I did it. Man, like, I mean... First steps are fun. Those were really fun. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. It's possible, um, likely even that, that we have listeners who, who are wrestling with some of what we've discussed. You know, maybe they've been faced with what feels like a difficult decision due to um, a unique need or, or a medical diagnosis that's presented itself. Uh, maybe we have listeners who, uh, though not right now, will we'll likely one day face a, a decision like this. So, you know, what would you say to those folks? How would you encourage them as they grapple with, with the decision to choose life for their baby? I would encourage everyone at all times just to go ahead and take to heart and really think through what do you believe about life and recognize that when you come to a moment of trial, you're going to default to your training. You're, we like to think that we're going to rise to the occasion, but we don't often do that. So it's important now to think through and understand what our beliefs are and what we're going to do in those moments. Um, my own experience was completely hypothetical until it wasn't. I remember in college sitting around and talking with friends, hearing about these hypothetical situations. And at the time, I never in a million years would have imagined that it would happen to me, not just once, but twice being having having discussions thinking is this life really worth it we need to go ahead and really think through the value of life what is our approach to life how are we going to support people who have difficulties um, but on the flip side of that 
I have now met so many incredible people who have gone through more challenges than uh, just seems fair. And I have never in my entire experience of being a special needs parent for 10 years now, I've never met a parent who has regretted choosing life for their child, regardless of how difficult their life has been. The impact that their children have made, even if it is a child who tragically passed away way before it was fair or right for them to. Um, I have so many parents, uh, friends who have buried their own children. And even with that, their lives had such impact and such value. And I think being a truly pro-life perspective is just encouraging people to recognize there's going to be challenges. There's going to be difficulties. And as a believers, we want to wrap around you. We're going to walk with you so that you're not alone, but get ready because there is so much value and there is so much worth that this child, no matter how long or how difficult that journey is, there's joy, there's value, there's dignity, there's destiny as a part of that, that we celebrate that is well worth the difficulties of going through that process, the end is so sweet and so beautiful that that it's worth it at the end of the day, that the world is going to try to tell us that there's a quick fix to this solution. It's a procedure. It's a pill. It's something to do quickly. And then it's all just going to go away. That's a bandaid to a deep wound. And we want to celebrate and walk alongside people recognizing that true healing comes through Christ and in Christ and his work on the cross, no matter what the outcome or diagnosis is going to be, even in the most difficult of pregnancies, that life is celebrated. That life was desired. That life was wanted from Christ Jesus and has a destiny with him that we can honor and celebrate and uh, be a part of together. That's really good. So, on a topic like this, uh, it, it is it is so prominent uh, with, within culture. It feels really big, hard to get our arms around. Uh, I'm sure that we have listeners who, who would like to get involved in some sort of pro-life work, but maybe they're just not sure where where to begin. So how would you advise folks, everyday folks, um, to, uh, you know, what, what one or two things might we all be doing to be involved in a meaningful and impactful way to, to kind of um, move the needle forward? Absolutely. The first thing is just to be present within your community, recognizing uh, it. we don't like to talk about this, but when we look at the statistics and numbers of abortions, these are our sisters. These are our friends. These are our girlfriends. There are people in and amongst our community all the time who are genuinely struggling with this. Uh, I, My own personal experience, I learned 10 years after the fact that I had a dear friend and sister who during college ended up having an abortion who never felt like she could tell anyone just because she was so embarrassed, so ashamed. And I, I wish I had done a better job at making spaces for her to be honest about her struggles, what her needs were so that she would, I would be a safe space for her to be able to share that she was pregnant and, and, and in less than ideal situation. And so just being present, making space for people to t- be honest and authentic about their struggles is a great place to be just being honest about our own struggles so that there's a safe and open door for people to share when there is a difficulty listening with a com- compassionate ear as well. If someone is struggling with an unwanted pregnancy or unplanned pregnancy, listen to the struggles and recognize that they're real struggles. There are genuine systemic issues that make being, a parent, especially a young parent from a you know various backgrounds, it can be very hard. And so look for 
tangible ways to help, whether that be helping arrange childcare options or helping them connect with the resources in their communities. If you don't know the local pregnancy centers in your community, I would say you need to go ahead and go on Google right now and find out what resources are available for young mothers right now in your community. Find out what you can point them to. And if you can't point them to something, maybe pray that the Lord would either lead you or somebody in your community to setting something like that up. Because the reality is that the situation is not going to go away. And especially as we're looking to the Supreme Court this summer with potential rulings coming out with that, uh, we can't keep going as we've been going. The status quo is not going to keep it going. It's just not acceptable anymore. And so we've really got to become more committed, more planted with the boots on the ground who are already doing the work in their communities and coming alongside them and helping them. Yeah. Okay, last couple of questions, and, and then we'll get out of here. So if, if, if we have listeners who want to keep up with you and your team, follow the work that you're doing, support the work that you're doing, uh, where would you direct them? Yeah, the best place to find us would probably be on our Facebook page. We also have YouTube. We've got all the social medias, but just the Texas Baptist Christian Life Commission is the best way to find us on Facebook. We're also on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, feel free to reach out or DM us on any of those things, and we will be sure to connect back with you. It's some exciting times coming up. We've got the Texas legislative session coming up this upcoming uh, next year. And we've already been connecting and talking with representatives about what the next chapter of the pro-life movement can be. And we're hoping to be able to even be a part in writing some of those next next chapter pro-life bills. And so if anyone is interested in that, would like to help support us in that effort, feel free to reach out. Excellent. And then how, how can listeners be praying for you and your team? Pray for wisdom. Pray that the Lord would open doors. As I've alluded to several times already, there's obviously a lot of excitement and uh, energy right now looking to the Supreme Court. Uh, Texas already has trigger laws that would make abortion illegal should the should should Roe v. Wade be overturned and get kicked back to the states. Texas will be one of the states where abortion will become illegal. And so we we want to be a truly pro-life state, though, and we want to help our legislators know how to do that. And so we're already trying to think through and have wisdom and knowing how to help create good bills and work with people that uh, could help make that happen. We also want to talk with our churches. And so there's just a lot of wisdom. There's going to be courage. This is obviously not going to be a popular stance to take uh, for some people. Yeah. And so pray for courage and endurance and that we could be loving and that we would have a truly compassionate and open hearts to be the voice of people who uh, are vulnerable, but also weep with those who are weeping and hear where their struggles are. Excellent. Well, Katie, it's been a great conversation. Uh, thank you so much for, for taking time. I'm sure you have a thousand things you could be doing. So it's a real privilege to have you. Thank, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And to those of you tuning in, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of the Love Times 2 Project. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And never forget, change the culture and the politics will follow.